Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. You have your Bibles. I want you to turn to Revelation, the second chapter, as we continue our study in looking at the bold admonitions to Christ's church. This is, of course, a segment of our series that we started months ago entitled Christ's Church, the Dearest Place on Earth. What we find when we get to Revelation in the second and third chapters, we see that Christ is going to boldly admonish the churches of Asia Minor there. And we know as we have studied this in the past that this is through the vision that he gives to John. And John then writes these things down just as he received them. And he's instructed to deliver these messages and have these messages delivered to these seven literal real churches of John's day. We have looked at three of them thus far, and we were going to be looking at the fourth one today as we look at another bold admonition from Christ to his church. And doesn't he have the right to, to admonish us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to discipline us, even bring his hand of judgment upon us? And so we, we look at this and we see that as we have in all of these other studies, these are direct messages from Christ, this one being to a church known as the Church of Thyatira. We will speak more of her in a moment. Let's read the text for the sake of time, jumping right in there, verse 18 of chapter 2. It says this, To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, this is to that messenger, to that pastor, that lead elder, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He starts, as he does many of these letters, with great commendation for the church. He says, you're doing good in so many areas. Then verse 20 says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. He says, I have already made known. How did he make known? It's not clear. But he's saying, I've already made known to this Jezebel of her immorality, and nothing has happened. I've given her time to repent. She hasn't. She's unwilling. Watch what he says in 22. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. Jezebel is done. The Lord has already made his mind. She has not repented. Pay close attention to that. She has already chosen, unwilling, not to repent. He says, so I'm going to cast her on a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Now, well, we can differ on what we think this is. Many people would like to say this was literal adultery. 
But I believe this in the culture that we're going to see in a moment. This was spiritual adultery, the same type of adultery that Israel had been committing against God over and over and over as they had participated in idolatry and sexual immorality that goes along with idolatry, the eating of meat sacrificed to idols. He's warning this particular person of these things. He says, in those, verse 23, I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Again, are we talking about her literal children? Perhaps. If God so chose to do so, he's right in doing that. But I think the bigger picture here are those people who are following her, those who she is teaching in the faith, those who are coming up under her learning from her heresy. He says they're going to be in trouble as well. And I will repay, he says this, each of you according to to your deeds. Verse 24, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. He said, the rest of you, you're doing what you need to do. Hold on to the faith. Hold on to Christ. He is the greatest treasure. Keep doing what you're doing. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. He's speaking of when the church will rule and reign with Christ. He goes on, he says, Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. He says, To he who overcomes will receive the morning star. Who is the morning star? Christ. He says, In eternity you will rule and reign, and you will receive forever Christ. What a treasure that is. You hear me talk about that many times where people think about eternity and they don't think about Christ at all. They think about when I get to heaven, I hope I have a big house. Or I hope I have all the things that I didn't have in this earth. When you get to heaven, you will be so consumed with the richness of Christ, that's all that's going to matter. And he tells those who overcome, the true believers, he says, you will enjoy the morning star and fellowship with the morning star forever. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now pay attention. He's writing to the church at Thyatira, singular. And he says, but let everyone who has ears see what he's saying to the churches. You're going to see there is a great lesson for us in this today. But before we get into that, the practical aspect of this and the application, I want us to talk about Thyatira a little bit because there's not a whole lot known. But what we do know about Thyatira, we will speak of this morning. And I know, as, as I've said in just about every one of these lessons, if not all of them, I know when I get to the historical part, many of you want to turn the ears off. Please don't. History is what tells us that these were actual, literal churches in an actual, literal place at an actual, literal point in time. And so I want us to pay attention to that because I don't want you to think that this is, as many people do when, when they're reading Revelation, that it's some mystic book that no one can understand. Don't mystify it and everything will be okay. Just read it like you read Psalms. Just read it like you read the Gospel of John. And when we do, we see this, that this is a literal church. And this is a literal message to a literal church, and it's from Christ. See how he describes himself as the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. It's the same description that John used over in Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 in describing Christ. Now, if you remember that, when John was there in chapter 1 of Revelation, this is when he saw the glorified Christ 
for the very first time. In fact, it was the first time that he had seen Christ since his ascension. And can you imagine when John saw Christ for the first time in his full glorified state? How overwhelming that was. In fact, it was so overwhelming, he fell down like a dead man. That's for all the charismatics who say that they've seen the full glory of God and they just rode zebras and unicorns around heaven. But you're going to fall as a dead man. John experienced this, and he describes Christ like this. His head and his hair were like wool, white wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. He doesn't miss a thing. Don't think for one second that you can cover anything up from the blazing eyes of Christ. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Here in chapter 2, we see John using that same description as given to him to let the church at Thyatira know who's giving this message. It is from Christ. By this statement, by this description, I want you to see some truths that he's saying about himself. He is restating in these truths his deity, that he is above all. He is talking about his deity. Now he is supreme over all. He is divine in his very nature. But then he moves to his sovereignty. My eyes are blazing fire. He knows all. He sees all. Never missing a thing. Nothing catching our Savior unaware. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? And then he goes on and he starts talking about things that are a little more difficult to understand. But if you go back to the culture, they're not. Bronze, a precious metal of the day. He talks about his feet here, burnished with bronze, fiery bronze, signifying his supreme authority, giving us the image and the truth that all of God's enemies are under Christ's feet. Aren't you thankful that they are, that he is the victor. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. He's all-knowing, and his judgments are final, and they're supreme and sovereign. He is the highest authority. So when this church received this letter, they were receiving this letter from the sovereign God over all. He was making that clear so that you know that. That you understand when he gets to the part about what's going on in that church that's not biblical. You understand I'm right when I speak. Don't argue with me. When I say something, it is absolutely true and holy. Pay attention to it. He's writing to this church. In fact, this is the longest of the seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor, which ought to tell us something, that there must be some significance to it. We're going to see in the American church today, there's great significance. Pay attention to this just as there will be to all of these. This place was 40 miles southeast of Pergamum that we just recently looked at. As we make our journey around that mail route and it makes that circle, we are now leaving Pergamum. We are now turning south from there toward Thyatira on this mail circuit. I want you to see the reality of that. This was a real place. Established the town of Thyatira by Alexander the Great and his successors in 190 B.C. But it was under the Roman leadership that Thyatira really began to flourish as a major producer of textiles, notably fabrics. This should begin to sound familiar to you if you are a student of the Bible. 
Those fabrics were actually sought after because they were dyed deep purple from a root from a plant known as the matter plant. What they would do there, the matter plant was located in this area. They would extract that root from that plant from the ground. They would grind it up into a powder, and then they would boil this powder with water and put fabrics in that, and it would actually dye them purple. You know this to be true because we use Scripture to confirm Scripture. Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15, you actually come in contact and learn about a lady named Lydia. And that lady, Lydia, she was listening to the gospel being preached. She was a dealer in purple cloth. And you know where she was from? Thyatira. Isn't it interesting how the Bible just meshes together when we will actually study it in its entirety and not just the parts we like or the parts we dislike. And so we see that this was an important place in biblical times because of those cloths, that fabric. Not only that, there were other industries there. But Lydia, being highlighted in Acts chapter 16 as one who came to Christ, was a dealer in purple cloth from Thyatira. We're going to see that she probably had a difficult life after that business probably wasn't booming any longer when she went back to her home and shared that she had been converted to Christianity and saved. Thyatira began, began to grow, and it began to become even a more important area. And just as I mentioned, many of these Roman cities and settlements were, they were controlled by what we know as labor unions. They called them trade guilds. And these trade guilds would actually control all of the industry there. This place became a very important industrial area. So there would have been trade guilds to govern and to help and aid and, and to come alongside of all the people in different trades. Of course, the textile trade that we talked about as far as cloth and dye was concerned, but also leather, pottery. There were metal workers and metal smiths, bronze smiths, and other industries of that day there in Thyatira. So it was a place of great industry. Therefore, it was a place where these trade guilds, guilds controlled everything. Now, so that you understand this, I want to remind you, if you were not a member of one of these guilds, you really had no security in your life in these Roman towns, Thyatira being especially important because their guilds controlled the entire city because Thyatira was an industrial city where Pergamum, as we learned in Smyrna, were important religious and educational areas. Thyatira was an important industrial area. And they would in these trade guilds, just so that you can understand this, and this is all to preface what we're going to talk about today, so stay with me. In these trade guilds, what they would do is they would actually adopt for themselves a Roman god or goddess who would serve, as we would understand, as a mascot. And those people in that trade were loyal to this god or this goddess who was the idol over that particular trade. And so if you were in the leather trade, you would have a god or a goddess who was the god over that trade. And what would happen is you would sacrifice to that god, that pagan deity. And in doing that, you would then be rewarded by that god or goddess in your trade. You would succeed and you would flourish. And that's what these people believed in. And so what would happen is when a person would come to Christ and they could no longer accept bowing down to false deities, gods and goddesses, 
they would be excommunicated from these trade guilds. And when they were excommunicated from these trade guilds, their life was all but done. Uh, no more finances, no more food. They would be persecuted because of their faith in Christ, because they would not participate in what was going on. And here's what was actually going on in a lot of these trade guild meetings. They would have these banquets. And at that particular guild's banquet, whoever their god or goddess was, they would sacrifice animals to this god or goddess, and then they would participate in the eating of the meats at that banquet to that god or that goddess, and then it would get out of control and it would lead to sexual immorality in those banquets. Now, this really posed a huge problem for the Christian church, didn't it? Unless, unless they could come up with some deeper understanding that they had somehow missed along the way that would allow them to use grace to participate in the trade guilds, eat meat sacrificed to idols, and commit sexual immorality, all in the name of grace. We insert the character that we will see here, Jezebel. We will talk about her teachings as we know them, as we can gather in extensive detail in a moment. But what happened is they inserted some false teaching that allowed the church to participate in the world. Now let me just help all of you out before we get to the meat of this today. Any teaching that allows the Christian to participate in sin is heresy. Don't buy it. It's false. And so this was happening. Boy, aren't we seeing it today. Don't we still see that in churches today? Now, this church, even though they had their issue, it was a big issue. The Lord commended them. Watch what He commended them for. I find this interesting. Their works, they were obviously doing some good things. He says, I commend you for your works. Their love. Remember just a few weeks ago, He rebuked Ephesus because they had forgotten their first love. They weren't loving Christ and they weren't loving others. This church hasn't made that same mistake. They were still where they needed to be in love, loving Christ and loving others. He says their faith, they were trusting God in their daily lives. Their service, they were serving God and serving others, ministering to their needs, as Christians should do. Their perseverance, many of them were still persevering in their faith in the midst of horrible persecution. Their growth, they were growing spiritually. They were maturing as a whole. And all those things were commendable. They were doing what 2 Peter chapter 1 tells the believers to do. Pay attention. It looks almost like the same list. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Thyatira seemed to be doing those things. In fact, even Christ testified to the fact that I see you doing those things. But there was a problem. There was a problem. And the problem wasn't necessarily participation yet, but tolerance. They had begun to tolerate unbiblical practices and unbiblical doctrine and blatant immorality in their midst. As we well know, that Satan is always roaming this earth 
like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, just as 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us. He, he, he's there and he's real. Now, understand this. We could at Key Life Fellowship say, man, there's some things going on. We could say, man, the Lord would probably commend us in many, many areas. We could say, you know, I can't think of right now one single rebuke that the Lord would have for us and think that everything was okay while we tolerate unbiblical teaching and unbiblical doctrine and, as we're going to see, unbiblical leadership in the church, blatant immorality. I want to go ahead and tell you this before we get into the meat of this message today. I realize there will be people leave the church over this one. Please understand this. When you leave the church, you leave the church not based on biblical principles. I'm going to show you the Scripture that backs up everything that I'm going to tell you today. When you walk out these doors angry, upset in your feelings, never to come back to that chauvinistic place. When you do that, you are doing that not against the will of Kirk Hall. You are doing that against the will and revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will answer for that. I say that simply to warn you. Because many will let you walk out the door and never warn you. I warn you. We're going to be looking at the Word of God today. We're going to see, we're going to ask this question. What was this church tolerating? You know what? I want to know why this church was doing what they were doing and what they were tolerating. I want to know so that we never tolerate the same things. Let these churches serve as examples to us of what we are capable of falling into. We could fall into the same error. Pay attention to it. Many are falling into it and have fallen into it throughout the ages. The first thing is this. I know. Go ahead and get your phone out. Open your email account. Type new. And get ready to send the email to me. I have a special file for it. The first thing that I want you to see that these people were tolerating was women in leadership. It's not popular today to talk about this. In fact, people get angry with you. That's okay. Don't get angry with me. I didn't say it. God did get angry with him. See how that works out for you. Women in leadership. He says this in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've done all these things well. Your faith, your love, your perseverance, your growth, your service. He said, you've done all those things well. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Oh, please know that she was no prophetess at all. She only called herself that. He says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Many people today are being led astray by Jezebels. Of course, this is not talking about a lady named Jezebel. He's revealing a principle that he's borrowing from the Old Testament about a woman named Jezebel. 1 Kings chapter 21, many of you are familiar with the story. I'm only going to give you a couple verses. Please go refresh yourself on it. But in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25, it says this about Jezebel. There was never a man like Ahab, that was her husband, who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Watch this. Urged on by Jezebel, his wife. Controlled by his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. What happened here is we would read all of the story today, and if we had time to do that, Ahab was being controlled by his controlling wife. 
and she led her husband, King Ahab, and the rest of Israel into idolatry and into sexual immorality. Some here at Thyatira, probably in leadership, the elders, the pastor who the message was being sent to, some of them probably in leadership were tolerating unbiblical leadership. Though many good things were happening, as I've already said, many good things were happening. They were tolerating this error. Women in leadership in the church. Galatians 5 verse 9 tells us this. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. They were accepting something that was unbiblical. We have to ask ourselves, why was this woman of such influence? And then we quickly have to ask ourselves, where were the elders here? Where were the elders who should have put a stop to this? Uh, that's what Christ is telling the church. Where are you men? Why are you tolerating this Jezebel? You're doing so many good things right, but a controlling woman has risen up in your midst and she's teaching false doctrine. Why was this being tolerated? What were they doing wrong? Here's what they were doing wrong. They were allowing women to teach and lead men. And before you step back and call me a male chauvinist pig, please understand when you adopt that language, you are adopting liberal ideology and humanistic thought. I'm strictly adhering to the Word of God when it seems like no one in this culture will. They were allowing women to teach and lead men. That was the problem here. Jezebel was leading and teaching men. And she was leading a whole church potentially astray. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, verse 11, in reference to the church. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was not formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. He's saying this, your heritage will continue if you raise your children in a godly manner. But you don't have any right to leadership and control. You're not the first created as Adam was. Pay attention to that church. Allowing a woman to teach or to have authority over a man to lead him is unbiblical. Can we please finally just use the Word of God to settle and end this debate? Why are we continually giving microphones to heretics who try to state their case from an unbiblical stance? We need to stop. In fact, there are whole denominations who have fallen into this error. The one that I used to belong to still entertaining it, still talking about it. Why are we talking about this when people are on their way to hell and we need to be preaching the gospel? Stop worrying about something that God has already made crystal clear. A woman is not to teach or have authority over a man. You say, well, I don't like that. I don't care if you like it or not, nor does God. That's what he says, and he says, why? A woman is a weaker vessel. We know that. We know that Satan was crafty, and what did he do? He didn't come to Adam. He came to the weaker vessel, and what did he do? He emotionally stirred her. He stirred her and deceived her into sin. 
And she led her husband astray. Here, take and eat this. It's pretty good. It looks good. It tastes good. Feels good. We see what's going on here. It's the same thing that we saw in the Old Testament in 1 Kings in the life of Ahab and Jezebel. It's the same thing that we're seeing in churches today. It's the same thing that Thyatira was seeing then, a woman in leadership causing chaos in the church. Allowing women to teach and to lead men is error. Second thing that we see here, allowing false teaching to continue without accountability from leaders is a problem. Isn't that a problem in the churches? And we have all these little ladies groups that are here and ladies groups are there and have a Bible study at your home and throw out your heresy and little pockets here and little pockets there rising up all the time. It should not be so. In fact, everything that is taught in this church should be in accordance with the leadership of this church, in accordance with what the elders have set out as the things that we teach according to the Word of God. In our statement of faith, according to the Holy Scripture, these people were making an error, allowing false teaching to continue without any accountability from the leadership. But we can think back to Titus and what Titus says in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, Paul writing to Titus, it says this, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Who was he writing to? Titus, the pastor of that church, the leader. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in, in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Who's teaching the older women to be reverent in the way that they live? Titus. The God-called man in that church, gifted teacher, not to be slanderers, or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Watch what happens in verse 4. Then, then, it's conditional. When Titus taught the older women sound doctrine, then, it says, they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. It is all about maligning the word of God. And when women are in leadership and men are not holding them accountable in their teaching and doctrine, the Word of God is maligned. It is dragged through the mud. I know what happens at this juncture in this discussion. Questions, right? Can a woman teach a woman? Yes, we just saw that. A sound woman can teach. Another woman in the faith, an older woman teaching a younger woman. Can a woman teach children? Of course. There are women right now in this church teaching children. Why? Because children are under the authority of the fact that they are mature adults in Christ. Should a woman teach other women and children without the oversight of spiritually mature male leadership? Well, we never asked that question. The answer to that question is absolutely never. Never. In fact, that's what we saw in Titus. Titus was instructed to teach sound doctrine and to teach sound doctrine to the men and to the women and then the women to pass that on to the younger women after they have received it from the leader in that church. Where was the leadership at Thyatira? We don't know. But obviously they weren't doing what they were supposed to do in holding this woman accountable. Should women teach other women and children without the oversight of spiritual male leadership? No. No. 
It's interesting, I've dropped into some of the ladies' D groups and they look at me like, what are you doing here? Not because I like to hang out with a bunch of women. I'm there to make sure none of you rise up as the Jezebel in this church. Say, well, who do you think you are? I am the Titus in this conversation. That's who I am. The God-called pastor of this church, and it is my responsibility to make sure that you ladies leading these groups are leading these groups with sound doctrine. I don't apologize for that. I appreciate your courtesy, right? Y'all all zip your lip and don't say anything while I'm there. But I'm just making sure, and don't think I don't have people there who report back to me what's being taught. Don't think that these things have not been talked over before they were ever, ever approved to teach you. Why? Because we take sound doctrine seriously, and we understand, no offense to the ladies, we understand how women can come from an emotional angle. That's your makeup. You can distort the truth before you know it based on your emotions. I walked into a D group at one point in time, and lady was telling everyone else how God's here and Jesus is here. I said, oh, no, ma'am. Jesus is God, co-equal, co-eternal, co-equal in his essence with the Father. Jesus is God, and we are not going to teach anything else here. Because when Thomas fell down at his feet, he said, my Lord and my God. Somebody told me she got upset with me. I went home and cried myself to sleep that night. No, I didn't. I would encourage her the same. Stay true to the Word of God. Don't veer just because you've been taught certain things. You may have been taught incorrectly. Should woman, a woman teach other women and children without any accountability from the male leadership of the church? Never. Another question. Should women teach the congregation? Absolutely not. We stand on that. I know that bothers you because some of you come from a background. In fact, that's usually the emails I get. Well, I know you say that, but my grandma. Your grandma was out of the will of God. I have nothing against your grandma. Probably a sweet lady, but she wasn't a pastor, even though she was telling people she was. She was lying to herself and lying to everyone else. This is the place of the male who God calls to that office in the church. Should women teach the congregation? Never. Absolutely not. How do I know this? I don't just make this up because I'm some male chauvinist. I say this because of the word of God. It says this in verse 33 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that many of these people who have female pastors love to harp on as far as making idols out of spiritual gifts, but they won't read this portion of it. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the saints. As in where? All the congregations of the saints. Is this a congregation of the saints? Are we here today because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches, the assemblies. What he's talking about doesn't mean you can't talk in the hallways. Doesn't mean you can't talk to your husband. Doesn't mean you can't talk to your friends. He's talking about in the assembly right now. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. He's saying this. It's not for a woman to get up here and to preach or to prophesy anything. It's for her to ask questions. And who is she to ask questions to? Her first spiritual authority, second only to Christ. Her own husband. Now, if you as a husband say, well, she's not going to ask me because I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. That's your problem. You need to learn. 
Wives, because your first ministry is your wife and your kids being a godly leader in your family. It's a reflection of what the church in Christ looks like. Should women teach in a congregation? Absolutely not. This is the problem that they had. And these questions, though they are questions that we ask because of Thyatira and looking at this, these are questions that we ought to ask today in our modern world, shouldn't we? As liberalism has infiltrated the church on every front, if you stand on the biblical authority of Christ, you are the outcasts, you are the weirdos, you are the fanatics, right? The cult leader, all the things I get called. So be it. May Christ be glorified in your awful things that you say. We can't fall into liberal, worldly ideology just because everyone else is church. We must stand on the truth of the Word of Scripture. Do women have a place in the church? You bet. To compliment their husbands and to compliment the leadership that's here in the church and never to interfere with it, never to try to control it, never to try to overthrow it. My mentor told me this. I'm very thankful for this advice. He had pastored churches for 42 years. He said this. He knew a little bit about it. He said, you always have a Jezebel and you always have a Judas. You have that woman who wants to control everything? Mark her and keep an eye on her. He said, you always have that Judas, the one who pretends to be your best friend while he's stabbing a knife in your back. You know, I found those things to be true, some very helpful insight. And so we look at this at Thyatira, and we know this. We can't think for one second that we are not susceptible to some Jezebel rising up and stirring up discord among the believers in this church. We must pay close attention to this, a church that was doing everything right, except they were tolerating this teaching. See, I'll take a deep breath. We're going to move on. What was this church tolerating? Women in leadership, but secondly, heretical teaching and teachers. They were tolerating heretical teaching and these teachers. She happens to be a woman. We cannot tolerate anyone teaching heresy. Verse 20 tells us this in the second part of that verse there in 20. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, but by her teaching, she misleads my servants. By her teaching, she misleads Christ's servants. We're not, sure, we're not sure exactly what that teaching really was. We can come to some conclusion, and that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to come to some conclusion because I believe this, that the teaching we see in Thyatira is alive and well in many so-called churches today. And that is that she was teaching a type of Gnosticism or pre-Gnosticism. Now, before you get all freaked out about a big word, I'm going to make it simple for you. Gnosticism is that additional enlightenment that someone would receive that was in addition to what the apostles had received from Christ and had then passed on to the church. It is what we saw in Galatians chapter 1. If you remember looking in Galatians, we see there uh, some people who were being thrown into chaos by some Judaizers who claimed to know a little bit more than the apostles. Now watch what happens here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Look at the apostles there putting themselves 
under accountability to themselves. If an angel or even myself preach a gospel, Paul says, other than the gospel we originally gave you, the gospel that we have received from Christ, let them be anathema, cursed. You must pay attention to that, especially in our day, because we have so much so-called new enlightenment. Enlightenment, just as Thyatira was receiving from Jezebel. Can you just imagine Jezebel with her new enlightenment where she pulls her little group to the side and she says, now guys, I know that you've spent enough time being persecuted by these trade guilds. You have lost out on so many earthly things and you need to get that stuff back. You need to prosper. Well, it sounds like the Jezebels of today, doesn't it? And she said, you need to prosper. And so what you need to realize is I've received more revelation than you originally received from the apostles. And, and this new revelation that I've received, you can participate in the eating of the meat sacrificed to idols, and you can commit sexual immorality because you have received grace from Christ, and everything is going to be okay. I've received that knowledge directly. There were many who were following this foolishness. You know this hasn't gone away, has it? And we see it today. We see it in the form of all sorts of extra-biblical revelation and teaching made popular by the Pentecostals, the Charismatics. I told you I'm going to get emails. The Word of Faith movement. And now the ever-popular NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. We'll talk more about all of these in a second. But all of these things are not knowledge from God at all. They are pagan mysticism. They are the same thing that Jezebel was receiving and passing along. They are demonic teachings. Don't make light of that. Know that this is alive and is well today, even in our so-called church culture. Be careful when you hear these ever-so-popular words, right? I have a word from God. If you hear that, I have a word from God, and they don't give you a book title and a chapter and a verse after it, they didn't hear from God. Because if you're going to hear from God, you are going to hear from God in these 66 books. Now, the Holy Spirit who indwells in you when you do hear from these 66 books, the Holy Spirit who indwells with you is going to confirm, yes, that is the right interpretation, or no, that is the wrong interpretation. But if you receive a message from God, you will receive it from the pages of His Holy Writ, period. Stop being deceived by these wicked charlatan leaders who have infiltrated the church just as Jezebel infiltrated Thyatira. Well, they come in the form of the Pentecostals and the Charismatics, both really one and the same. They claim direct revelation outside of the Scriptures to be a source of their teaching, right? I received this in addition to the Scriptures. Where does that stop if that ever gets started? Right? Where does that stop? Right? I received a word from God, and He said this to all of you, that if you give me $100 today, by next month you will be a millionaire. So give me your hundreds. Just let them fly. Throw them up here if you would like, or we can send some young men with five-gallon buckets, and you fill them up. Now, there's one person getting rich in this deal, the liar. And these people, day by day, are growing in number, and so is their following. Please be aware of them. They are leading people astray, just as Jezebel led Thyatira astray. What about the word of faith movement? If you're not familiar with these terms, familiarize yourself with them. This is also stemming from Pentecostalism. 
which if you would research Pentecostalism a little bit, you would find this out. It is a very new movement in most of your lifetimes. Stemming from Pentecostalism, we find the word of faith movement, and they believe that they are little gods who have the power to use their words to speak things into existence. This is an arrogant movement at best, an arrogant movement that finds themselves often commanding God and telling God what He's going to do. Let me just say this. Don't try that. It doesn't work out. Uh, remember, he's the eyes of blazing fire and the, and the, the feet of burnished bronze. He's, he's no one to mess around with. Yet they're commanding him to do whatever it is that they want him to do. These people are constantly receiving visions, dreams, and knowledge from the Holy Spirit. And most of the time, if not all of the time, contradicting the very Word of God by their visions and dreams. It's dangerous and it's unbiblical. Reason that it's dangerous and it's unbiblical because if anybody can receive any word from God at any time, then we all can receive words from God at any time. And we can all just create in our minds what we want to create in our depraved minds. However, God has closed the canon of Scripture and He has given us His authority. Oh, you remember what the author of Hebrews said in times past? He spoke in many ways through the prophets and in those many ways. But in these last days, He has spoken through His Son. Christ is the Word. When we stand on the Word of God, Logos, we stand in Christ. To stand outside of it is to leave Christ, to leave the authority of His truth, just as the Word of Faith movement has, where they're naming and claiming everything, even their unbiblical desires and wants. I saw a car not too long ago that had the license plate that said, I tithe. I thought, I sure hope you love, enjoy, you, you love your Lincoln Navigator because that's your just reward. You forfeited the rest of them, according to the teachings of Jesus. She said, who? <laughs> no, I really didn't have a conversation with her. <laughs> so you see the word of faith movement, and then we move to the ever popular in our time, the NAR, the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. And let me just tell you this, nothing about it, about it is apostolic or reformed. In fact, it ought to be called uh, the Jezebelian revival of mystic Gnosticism. That's what it ought to be called. And this is a movement that places personal experience and emotions and our feelings over biblical truth every time. It also involves leadership, some of those leaders women, um, Self-appointed, by the way, unapproved and unbiblical, so-called apostles who, who they make all the decisions for the NAR on a whim. They're the authority in the church. The Word of God is not the authority. The Word of God is just something that we just tag every now and then just to keep us seeming to be honest. These apostles, if you would, they receive direct revelation from God, and then they dictate that revelation to these followers, right? So I could receive whatever revelation and tell you guys what I want you to do. Boy, that's not manipulation at all, is it? Control? Well, there's all kind of accountability there, isn't there? Right? How do you argue with an apostle? Well, you can't really, can you? He's receiving direct word from God, man. I just got to submit to this. And there are fools by the grove submitting to it. Falling victim to Gnosticism revived. I don't have time to tell you all of the kooky nonsense that's involved in the NAR. I wish I did, but I don't today. This Gnosticism, this new revelation, this new knowledge, I want you to know this, it has no place in Orthodox Christianity. It has no place in historical Christianity. 
The Word of God has been revealed through Christ. This is all we need. This is the revelation from God to His church. These people were called up a new revelation from this Jezebel. New revelation. Revelation that encouraged others to embrace sin, all in the name of what John calls Satan's so-called deep secrets, right? I know something you don't know. I have a deep secret that you've not let yet uncovered because you're not as spiritual as me. This is what Jezebel was doing. It's what many in these other movements do. You, you, you're not as spiritual as me, so you don't receive this deep revelation. New revelation. If it's new, it's not true, church. You realize we, we are following Christ, a Savior who established His church 2,000 years ago. We've been following Him for 2,000 years. He, there is nothing that has been, not been uncovered that He desires to uncover as far as the Word of God is concerned. He's shown us. He's shown through men who are gifted to teach the Word of God. That's why we go back in church history and we read those men who were dedicated to sola scriptura and the truth of sound biblical doctrine. You don't listen to these quacks in the NAR who are nothing but kids who grew up in some youth group who would throw them pizza and were all about their feelings. We want to know sound biblical truth. Sound biblical truth comes from the Word of God and nowhere else. So if it's new, throw it out. Be careful when you hear the charismatic tell you they have a new revelation. I simply say this. I'll stick to the old one. Thank you. I'll stick to the true one. Thank you. I'll stick to the Word of God as proclaimed in Scripture. Sola Scriptura until I die. You can do whatever you want to do. The church at Thyatira facing backlash from the Lord because they were heretical in their teaching and their teachers, particularly that Jezebel. The third thing and the final thing, as we ask, what was this church tolerating? You'll see the escalation from making one compromise to tolerating heresy to then participating in active immorality. Isn't that always the way that it goes? Isn't it interesting? That's what we see in a lot of these modern so-called church movements, right? A new word, heresy. Gnosticism, new word, leads to, oh, a little bit of excitement because, you know, Jesus just wasn't enough for us, and so we need a little more. This is kind of more exciting, and it really gets in our feels, and we like it. But then what happens is when you become feelings-driven, that's flesh, in case you didn't know that. You open the door for your flesh in every area of your life. And so what always happens in these movements is they end up falling to sin. You don't believe me, ask the United Methodists. John Wesley would roll over in his grave if he hasn't already. We see that they had sin that accompanies their heresy. The sin of disregarding biblical truth and in regard to leadership then went to the sin of embracing heresy. They compromised in the area of orthodoxy, all to be tolerant to the people of the day. Right? We don't want to isolate people. We want to make sure everyone's included. Do you hear these things all the time? Tolerance, inclusion? Does it sound familiar, America? Pay attention, it's nothing new. So what would they do? Well, teach people to be tolerant, teach people to be inclusive, teach people to embrace unorthodox things. 
once a person or a group of people disregard one clearly defined command in Scripture, then they can downplay and disregard all the commands of the Bible, right? Oh, if you say, oh, I, I want to continue to believe in female leadership in the church, I'm going to erase what we just read that Paul wrote to Timothy. What's stopping you from erasing the rest? Who made you the person who gets to pick and choose? And why would you think that any of us get to pick and choose? We have to take it all. The things that we like, the things that we don't like. We can't remove any of it. We have to trust in and study and believe in the full counsel of the Word of God, the end. Because if we don't, there is that digression, isn't there? Galatians 5, we already referenced 9 of 5, but let's look at that entire text there. Verse 7, you were running a good race, he says to those who were being infected by the Judaizers in Galatia. He says, who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. It's not God. Did you catch that? It's not Christ who's doing this. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Well, he was sure he's going to pay the penalty because why? Just as the Lord told Jezebel, you're not going to get away with this. They're not going to get away with it. The problem is that they affect many others, and there is that collateral damage that happens along the way. That's what the church at Thyatira is being warned about. He said, I've already made up my mind to judge Jezebel. Now, don't get involved in her teaching or in her leadership. Because if you do, there will be that downgrade. Disregarding one biblical truth leads to the embrace of heresy. And then the embracing of heresy led to a disregard for personal holiness and the embracing of sin. Isn't that how it always works? That's how it worked in the garden. Right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? Isn't that where it all started? Did God really say? Is that really the Word of God? Or is that a book written by men? When we begin to doubt the authority of the Word of God, we open our door to all kind of error, right? So you have this woman Jezebel here at Thyatira, and she's saying, you know, that's not really what God said. You can eat the meat of idols, and you can participate in sexual immorality. Don't you know, haven't you heard about grace? Oh, and she would throw that Christianese in there for them so that they would hear a word that they were probably familiar with. Oh, okay. Well, this is grace. To live any way that I want to live. Deceiving myself and deceiving others. Sin always accompanies heresy. Because heresy is the mother of all sin. Did God really say? All the enemy had to do is to get her to believe heresy. To doubt the word of God. And then guess what? Here we are. Apart from Christ in our totally depraved state because of the fall of man. It always works like this. Ask the denominations that have fallen or, or who will soon fall. The downgrade looks similar every time. Uh, you don't believe me? Some of you have been around long enough. Let's pay attention to the downgrade, what it looks like. Well, number one, the ignoring of biblical truth. When they began to ignore biblical truth, bad things happen. The next step is this, they embrace unbiblical teaching, right? If, if biblical truth doesn't matter, why are we going to embrace and hold on to biblical teaching? We pick and choose what we like. 
And then shortly after that is the acceptance of sin. Now, we're not actually participating in the sin. You know what? There were those in Thyatira who were not participating in the sin, but they were accepting it already. Wasn't that what we say, right? We take a pretty hard stand on alternative lifestyles until somebody in our family participates in one, and then our mind changes. No, the Word of God hadn't changed. Quiet, isn't it? The acceptance of sin. You know, in Romans chapter 1, he not only condemns the reprobate, he condemns all of those who condone the reprobate. Participation in sin is the next step. We don't just accept it. We participate in it. It doesn't take long. Bad company corrupts good character. That Jezebel comes in and she says, oh, y'all got it all wrong. You really shouldn't worry about holy living and sanctified living. What you ought to do is you ought to just experience grace. I have experienced grace. It's wonderful. I go to church on Sunday and I worship with everyone else. and I pray and I believe in God. So do the demons, lady. They tremble because they know his authority, whether you recognize it or not. That man or whoever that teacher is then teaches you to fall into active sin, participating in it. Bringing God's judgment then upon the unrepentant. What a sad downgrade we have seen in this church at Thyatira. What a sad downgrade we see very similar in the so-called church of America. Those of you who have been around quite some time, you have seen it. You know these things to be true. You know that I'm not up here just giving opinions. I'm showing you facts. And the fact is this. God has warned us, and He has warned us through a church 2,000 years ago called Thyatira that we cannot be tolerant of these things in His church. And that if we do, we will face the judgment of God. So I close with this. How should we address these issues in the church today? so that we don't become tolerant. Well, I can tell you this right now. As your pastor, my greatest fear is that we become some woke, tolerant church. May it never be. May we never become tolerant. What must we do? Four things, and I'm going to just tell you this. All four of those things have to do with standing on biblical truth. Number one, stand on biblical truth regarding the true gospel. Do not compromise the gospel one bit. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. It is through His substitutionary atonement at the cross that we are cleansed. It is through His resurrection that we are made alive because we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and we rose with Christ according to Scripture. And we will preach those things and we will not compromise on those things until Christ returns. We must stand on biblical truth regarding the true gospel. Gospel. You say, why is that so important? Many people don't even know the true gospel and call themselves a church. You say, is that so, Pastor? Just watch one episode of their clown shows. Watch them. It's all about the clown leading the circus. It's not about the Savior who died to rescue the sinner. We must stay true to the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise. Number two, stand on biblical truth regarding leadership in the church. Everybody thinks we're crazy. Old-fashioned. All the names you get called when you say that leadership in the church belongs to the men in the church. Why? Because I like men more than women? No. 
Because the Word of God says so, period. Make a stand on that. Be a church who says we're not afraid to stand on the truth of the real gospel. We're not afraid to take a stand on true leadership in the church as defined by Scripture. Then be a church that stands on biblical truth regarding sound doctrine, holding others accountable. On your reach groups, when you hear someone say something that is unbiblical in a nice way, don't have a problem with saying this. No, that's not actually right, sir. Scripture says, if you're going to tell him he's not right, you better know. Scripture says, Scripture says this. No, that, that's not right, ma'am. Well, who do you think you are? I just don't want you to become a Jezebel. No, I don't want you to approach her like that. <laughs> approach her with grace and humility, ma'am. I, I know I... I see, I see how you see it like that, but, but really biblically, this is how the Scriptures define it. You say, well, Pastor, if I'm going to do those sorts of things, I better, I, better, I better get in the Word. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Stand on biblical truth regarding sound doctrine. In your home? In your family? Right? When your kid says something that's heretical, stop them. Stop them. You know why my son can throw a football really well? I never let him throw it wrong. Right? When he was two years old, he picked up a football. He's going to pick it up by the point and try to throw it. No, son, that's not how you throw a football. That's not how you do it. That's why when he was old enough to play, he could throw a football. He could throw a football accurately. He could throw a football hard. Why? I wouldn't let him do it incorrectly. Parents, don't be afraid to tell your kid. No, that's incorrect. Right? <laughs> right? Don't, be, don't be afraid to line your kid out on Trinitarian doctrine. No, my son, that's modalism. <laughs> No, my daughter, that is Arianism. I'm afraid to line them out. It's important that we stand on biblical truth regarding sound doctrine. And fourthly, stand on biblical truth regarding personal holiness and sanctification. I know this is one we don't want to talk about all the time. What's happening here in Thyatira is Jezebel was leading these people away from personal holiness and sanctification. And they were hurting their testimony, they were becoming stumbling blocks, they were doing things that Scripture says do not do. Church, don't be afraid to live a holy life, sanctified, set apart for the glory of Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of that. I know this. Right? With that, your friends are going to hate you. Some of your family, they're going to hate you. Some of the people that you work with, they're going to make fun of you. You will be the punchline of every single one of their jokes. But remember this. You have not yet suffered unto death. And your persecution will be avenged by the Lord. Know that. And stand on biblical truth regarding personal holiness and sanctification. Say, as Joshua said long ago when he drew that line in the sand, and he says, you can follow the gods of the Amorites or the Canaanites or whatever ites you want to follow, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There's no exception. There's no compromise. We're going to live lives of biblical and personal holiness and sanctification as we are growing in our faith. According to John 17, as Jesus prayed in verse 17, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. According to Commands in Scripture to be holy for the Lord our God is holy. Do not compromise in that area. Must never compromise. Ever. Sola Scriptura. 
until we die. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. May we stand on Your Word in every area and occasion of our lives. May we never compromise. May we see how important it is. May we not try to adjust Your Word to fit our lives, but may Your Spirit adjust our lives. We live in obedience to Your Word. We submit to You now. Lord, I pray for those who are lost here today. Lord, we ask that you would graciously draw them out of darkness and into light as only you can. We trust in your sovereign grace to save them. Lord, we ask that if it be your will today, that some would come and receive new, eternal life, forgiveness of sin in you. We give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.